very much. Great song to lead us into our uh, study of God's Word this morning. So if you would turn to Daniel chapter 2. We're basically going through three books at one time, trying to answer the question, how do we please God? How do we trust in love in light of a culture that's increasingly um, hostile to Christianity, increasingly pagan in its um, morality? And so Daniel is a great book to look at. And Daniel chapter 2 is a good passage to think about the question initially, um, do you find it difficult to make time to pray and read your Bible during the week? And what would help you to be more regular in carving out that time? It's a great question because it's not necessarily one single thing that might be used by God to do that, but there is one thing that God definitely uses to drive us to himself, and we've sung about it in different ways this morning, and it is that he uses various situations to create a feeling in us that we need him. It's not that we don't ever... uh, find ourselves in a place where we don't need him. It's that we don't always feel that we need him. And so God is always up to working in our lives to remind us that we need him. And so we'll see that reflected in uh, this passage as we read Daniel chapter 2. Another thing that we're going to find in this chapter is um, someone who dreamed a dream, and the dream was significant in terms of understanding what was going on in the world and what was going on in the universe. And there was actually a a man that you may have heard of named Oliver Wendell Holmes Sr., not the junior who was on the Supreme Court, but his father, the senior, was a doctor, he was a writer, he was a poet, he was a humorist in the 1800s, and he also was fascinated with uh, the use of ether. And um, he decided that he wanted to find out what it was like for his patients, what they experienced when they were put under. And so he tried that, and he found that in the initial dream state that he thought that he had uh, got a thought that was an insight into the uh, mysteries of the universe. And so he decided to repeat the process and have someone there with him to write down whatever it was he said in that dream state. And so he went through this again. He was put under... And the stenographer wrote down what he said when he was kind of mumbling uh, as he went into full, um, you know, sedation. And he asked this person after it was all done, so what did I say? And he said, you said the entire universe is permeated with a strong odor of turpentine. (laughs) And so he thought, you know, maybe in this dream state I'll find out what the real... Uh, answer and key is to life and the universe, and he didn't. But what we find happening in Daniel chapter 2 is there's a king who does have a dream, and he does find out the key to history and what is really happening. And so the context of Daniel chapter 2 is this happened way back in the 7th century B.C., before Christ, and um, the context is God has judged the northern uh, tribes of 
of Israel through Assyria, and he's judged the southern tribes, Judah through Babylon. And Daniel is one of the uh, Jewish people, young man that has been taken from Judea to Babylon. And Daniel is a believer in Yahweh. He's a faithful uh, man, a godly man, and he's put into a position in the government. He's working for a pagan government, and he's in a group that's called the wise men. And he is serving a king who's a cruel tyrant. Now, a tyrant is someone who basically does whatever they want to do and forces his will upon those he rules over. But the other context is God promised to Abraham to bless the seed of Abraham. And he promised to put on the throne of David, a descendant of David, who would rule and reign forever. And yet the people of God are in exile in Babylon. Is God going to fulfill his promises when things look so dark and so bleak? And so that's what we have going on in Daniel chapter 2. And so uh, just to give you a chance to stretch, if you'd stand up, we'll read the first 11 verses of Daniel chapter 2 and just give you a chance to um, stretch your legs since we've been sitting for a while. And this will just help us begin talking about what we see in the first uh, point. Uh, Verse 1 says, Now in the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams, and his spirit was troubled, and his sleep left him. Then the king gave orders to call in the magicians, the conjurers, the sorcerers, and the Chaldeans to tell the king his dreams. So they came in and stood before the king. The king said to them, I had a dream, and my spirit is anxious to understand the dream. Then the Chaldeans spoke to the king in Aramaic, O king, live forever. Tell the dream to your servants, and we will declare the interpretation. The king replied to the Chaldeans, The command from me is firm. If you do not make known to me the dream and its interpretation, you will be torn limb from limb, and your houses will be made a rubbish heap. But if you declare the dream and its interpretation, you will receive from me gifts and a reward and great honor. Therefore declare to me the dream and its interpretation. They answered a second time and said, Let the king tell the dream to his servants, and we will declare the interpretation. The king replied, I know for certain that you are bargaining for time, inasmuch as you have seen that the command from me is firm, that if you do not make the dream known to me, there is only one decree for you, for you have agreed together to speak lying and corrupt words before me until the situation is changed. Therefore tell me the dream that I may know that you can declare to me its interpretation. The Chaldeans answered the king and said, There is not a man on earth who could declare the matter for the king, inasmuch as no great king or ruler has ever asked anything like this of any magician, conjurer, or Chaldean. Moreover, the thing which the king demands is difficult, and there is no one else who could declare it to the king except gods, whose dwelling place is not with mortal flesh." This is the word of God. You may be seated. Thank you. So we have here uh, the first part of the story, and the first part of the story has to do with an unreasonable demand. You ever make unreasonable demands on people in your life? You ever experience an unreasonable demand? Um, Sometimes in your work situation, you can feel like uh, your boss or other people are 
are making unreasonable demands of you, maybe in certain relationships you feel like people are expecting things in, your, in the relationship that are not uh, things that you can give or should uh, give. Well, that's what we find going on here. We have the king of Babylon who rules over the world, so to speak, King Nebuchadnezzar. He has a dream and he calls in uh, what you would call a, a staff of specialists. These um, people that are called magicians, conjurers, sorcerers, Chaldeans, they were all um, a group of people who had to do with the occult and had to do with uh, foretelling the future and uh, reading dreams. And so they're involved in the mystical in various ways. And in that day and time, it was understood that dreams could come to people in authority like kings that were actually meant as a warning for the future or telling them the future. And so therefore, it was was important to the king to understand the dream so that they could prepare for the future or maybe even change the future in light of whatever the dream told them. And so when King Nebuchadnezzar says, I have to know what this dream means... That's not an unusual thing. A king in those circumstances would say, I need to know because somehow I'm being told what is to come and I need to know what to do in light of it. And the magicians, conjurers, and all these fellows uh, who were known in general as the wise men or the Chaldeans were known by the common people as being really sharp guys who had insight into hidden things and therefore everybody thought, well, uh, they know what's going to happen, and they can uh, help in any situation. So uh, their bold prediction was, just tell us the dream, and we'll tell you the interpretation. And the king has some doubts about that, and so he wants to make sure that they can tell him the true interpretation. So he says, "Uh, tell me the dream, and then I'll know that you can tell me the interpretation. And they say, wait a minute, nobody has ever asked this of any of us, to be able to tell what the dream is. And that enrages the king. And he says, you know, um, if you don't tell me the dream and its interpretation, uh, then I'm going to rip you limb from limb. That seems kind of harsh. And it was, but it was very much the way things operated uh, in that day and time among the Babylonians as well as the Assyrians and the Phoenicians, they were known for cruelty. And you probably have read things in the, in the Bible like in Psalm 137. It says, O daughter of Babylon, you devastated one. How blessed will be the one who repays you with the recompense with which you have repaid us. How blessed will be the one who seizes and dashes your little ones against the rock. You ever read that in the Bible and wondered, Why in the world would anybody ever pray like that? I pray that someone would take your babies and treat them cruelly. What's going on there? Well, that's a poetic way of saying, may you receive the justice that is your due. Because the line before it says, how blessed will be the one who repays you with the recompense with which you have repaid us. Which means that's what the... Babylonians did. They took babies and they killed them in the cruelest of ways. They were a cruel people. 
And Nebuchadnezzar was cruel. And so that's what we have here is we have a cruel tyrant making an unreasonable demand upon some of these men. But that's always the way it is with with tyrants. The more and more that sinners gain absolute power, the more cruel they will become. And you can see the history of that even in, in recent days with things that happened in the Soviet Union and are still happening today around the world under those who are absolute uh, dictators over their people. Uh, they are not kind to their people. Um, and that's what happens when sinners gain power. God is not a sinner, so he has absolute power, and so he is not corrupted by that. He uses it in the greatest way possible. So what's the application? Just very briefly, we should not be surprised if sinners make unreasonable demands upon us. And the more power someone has, we shouldn't be surprised if they make more and more unreasonable demands upon us. Um, there's a funny story that you may have seen if you ever watched the I Love Lucy episodes. There's the, the famous episode where they're, they're wrapping chocolate on this conveyor belt, and they increase in speed. Uh, they increase the speed of the conveyor belt to where they're, they're eating the chocolates and they're, they're putting it in their clothes and their hats and they're trying to keep up with what they're supposed to be doing. And it's a great picture of unreasonable demands where people are, are flooding us with things that we cannot handle, no matter how hard we try. And the question is, um, what do we do with that? How do we think about that? And do we do that. There's a story in the Old Testament where Rachel, who's married to Jacob, says, give me children or else I die. She tells her husband, we're not having any kids. Give me children or I die. And his response is, am I in the place of God who has withheld from you the fruit of the womb? He's basically saying, you're asking something that's unreasonable of me. I cannot give you children. Only God can do that. And so uh, the first thing that I want us to do is identify with Nebuchadnezzar and identify with other people who make unreasonable demands. I think there are unreasonable demands being made by us right now, uh, by our government. And Julie prayed about some of those unreasonable demands that are being made. And so, but we should not think that we're totally different than our government or we're totally different than other people because that's the nature of sin. It's the nature of sinners. We often make unreasonable demands of people. And one of the applications is, God, deliver me from that. Deliver me from making unreasonable demands. Deliver me from looking to people for things that only he can give me. That's what idolatry is. It's looking to people for things that only God can give me and therefore trying to manipulate them and get from them what only God can give and therefore I can't love them under those circumstances. Secondly, uh, let's look at and see what happened, uh, how um, Daniel responded to this. In verse 12 and following it says, Because of this, the king became indignant and very furious and gave orders to destroy all the wise men of Babylon. So the decree went forth that the wise men should be slain, and they looked for Daniel and his friends to kill them. Then Daniel replied with discretion and discernment to Arioch, 
the captain of the king's bodyguard, who had gone forth to slay the wise men of Babylon. He said to Arioch, the king's commander, For what reason is the decree from the king so urgent? Then Arioch informed Daniel about the matter. So Daniel went in and requested of the king that he would give him time in order that he might declare the interpretation to the king. Then Daniel went to his house and informed his friends Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah about the matter so that they might request compassion from the God of heaven concerning this mystery so that Daniel and his friends would not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a night vision. Then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. Daniel said, Let the name of God be blessed forever and ever, for wisdom and power belong to him. It is he who changes the times and the epochs. He removes kings and establishes kings. He gives wisdom to wise men and knowledge to, the, to men of understanding. It is he who reveals the profound and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness, and the light dwells with him. To you, O God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise, for you have given me wisdom and power. Even now you have made known to me what we requested of you, for you have made known to us the king's matter. So Daniel and his three friends are a part of the larger group of wise men. And um, when the wise men that are talking to the king say, there's no way we can do what you ask us to do, the king says, okay, you die. And he sends this person out to take care of them. Daniel hears about it. They're trying to hunt for them. Daniel comes to this man that he probably already had some kind of relationship with. He says, why is the king's um, command uh, so, could be translated urgent or harsh? Why, why is he being so cruel? Why is he uh, calling for the death of all the wise men? And so Daniel finds out, and he goes to the king and he says, give me some time, and I believe I can answer your request. And so Daniel goes back to his friends. Evidently, he's living with um, his three friends. And he says, we need to pray. (laughs) Let's pray. Uh, We need God to show us what's going on here. We need God to tell us the dream and the interpretation of the dream so that I can go back to the king so that we can be saved and the other wise men as well. It's interesting. Calvin says about this, he says, God, I say, so changes empires and times and seasons that we should learn to look up to him. So when Daniel received the answer that he needed, he praised God. He praised God for his wisdom and his power. He praised God for revealing the profound and hidden things, that he knows what is in the darkness. Light dwells with him. And uh, Calvin says in light of that, that God is in charge of empires, uh, raising them up and bringing them down. God is in charge of seasons that we go through. Difficult seasons, not so difficult seasons. Whatever they are, God's in charge of that. And that he is um, teaching us through those seasons and through the changes in governments. What is he teaching us? He's teaching us to look to him. He's uh, driving us to seek him in his word and in prayer. He's giving us a good reason to carve out that time to be alone with him and to remind us that I was created by God and for God. And he never just wound me up and said, go and do your thing and 
see me after 70 years. He designs everything in one sense to drive us to him on a daily basis so that we're wanting to know what is happening. We go to his word and his word gives us an idea of what's going on in the world around us. And then we lift up our hearts to God in prayer and say, God, in light of what's happening, I need you. Help me. Please help me. And that's what Daniel did. And God answered his prayers. He answered the prayers of his friends. And we see the fact that, um, like it says in Deuteronomy 29, 29, the secret, secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things revealed belong to us and to our sons forever, that we may observe all the words of this law. Which means... God knows the secret things. Nobody else does. Only he can reveal those to us. And if he does reveal something to us, he reveals it to us so that we can trust him in the ways we need to and so that we can love in the ways we need to. That's what it means so that we can do all the words of this law. God's commands command us to trust him and it commands us to love. And so if God reveals something, he's revealing it so that we can trust him and so that we can love Uh, as we should. Now, one of the things that I wanted to just mention by way of application is when Daniel and the friends prayed, they prayed for a specific thing. They prayed that God would reveal to them what the king's dream was. What did he dream and why did he dream it? What was God saying to him through the dream? Um, And their purpose was so that they would, their lives would be saved and the other men's lives would be saved And yet the reality is, whenever we pray for our needs to be met, we're actually meant to be praying for something greater. Um, The reason for that is um, the Lord's Prayer starts this way. Jesus taught us to pray this way. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. The first thing God tells us to pray for is that the name of God would be exalted. That's exactly why God gave Nebuchadnezzar the dream. That's exactly what happened when Daniel received the answer. He praised the God of heaven. His name was exalted. The second thing uh, that he tells us to pray for is that God's kingdom would come. And the dream is really about the coming of the kingdom of Christ. And so all that's going on here is very much about exalting the name of God. It's very much about ushering in the kingdom of God on earth. And so even when we pray, give us this day our daily bread, there's a sense in which we're praying, glorify your name, Father, and bring in your kingdom. Um, Martin Luther talked about the fact that we might think that the request, give us this day our daily bread, is a very simple thing. He said it's one of the most complex things you can pray. What has to happen for you to have food on your table? Uh, Somebody has to plant that food. Somebody has to cultivate it. Somebody has to harvest it. Somebody has to put it on a truck and and bring it to wherever it needs to go, whether to be sold or or processed or or made into food. Uh, There has to be, uh, Martin Luther would say, a government in which you have uh, a peaceful enough existence where all those things can happen. Because if there's civil war raging... You're not going to have the normal production of food. You're not going to have the normal uh, everyday life of people getting up and going to work. He said, 
the whole idea of praying, Lord, give us this day our daily bread, isn't you know, dropping manna out of heaven. It's saying do everything and orchestrate the world in such a way that I can have something to eat. I've heard people say that if things don't change, uh, next year uh, the supply chain around the world is going to be very different. And we may notice some uh, lack of provision. And there are some people who are already saying there is that showing up. Talking to my mom yesterday, she said, you know, we go into Walmart, in our Walmart, and the shelves in many places are empty. And so you begin to realize that it takes a lot of different dynamics for God to answer the prayer, God, give me something to eat today. And I just use that as an illustration of whenever Daniel and his friends prayed, God, tell us the dream and the interpretation and save our lives, God was actually doing a lot more than that. He was glorifying his name and he was proclaiming the ushering in of the kingdom of Christ. One of the reasons why we find in James chapter 5, James saying, is anyone among you suffering? Then he must pray. Is because God is doing so many things through our suffering that we need to pray for the grace to see what we need to see and to do what we need to do in light of our sufferings. There's some things we need to see, other things we don't need to see. There's some things we need to do, other things we don't need to do. But we pray in our suffering that we might see what we need to see about what God's doing and that we might do what we need to do in light of whatever we're going through. This next long section in Daniel um, begins in verse 24. And uh, one of the questions we can ask ourselves as we begin to look at this section is, this is where Daniel reveals the dream and reveals what it means. The question would be, all of us want to know the future. You know, we'd love to know the future, right? The question is, why do we want to know the future? You know, some people want to know the future so that they, they can go to Vegas and place, uh, place a bet and win a bunch of money. Uh, other people have other ideas about why they want to know the future because they feel like they're somehow in control. Why do we want to know the future? There are good reasons for knowing the future. That's why God tells um, not only uh, Nebuchadnezzar, but Daniel and the people of God what the future is going to be. He at least tells us enough so that we can trust him and we can love. In verse 24, it says, Therefore Daniel went into Arioch, whom the king had appointed to destroy the wise men of Babylon. He went in and spoke to him as follows. Do not destroy the wise men of Babylon. Take me into the king's presence, and I will declare the interpretation to the king. Then Arioch hurriedly brought Daniel into the king's presence and spoke to him as follows. I have found a man among the exiles from Judah who can make the interpretation known to the king. The king said to Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, Are you able to make known to me the dream which I have seen and its interpretation? Daniel answered before the king and said, As for the mystery about which the king has inquired, neither wise men, conjurers, magicians, nor diviners are able to declare it to the king. However, there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries, and he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will take place in the latter days. This was your dream and the visions in your mind while on your bed. As for you, O king, while on your bed, your thoughts turn to what would take place in the future. 
And he who reveals the mysteries has made known to you what will take place. But as for me, this mystery has not been revealed to me for any wisdom residing in me more than in any other living man, but for the purpose of making the interpretation known to the king and that you may understand the thoughts of your mind. You, O king, were looking and behold, there was a single great statue. That statue, which was large and of extraordinary splendor, was standing in front of you and its appearance was awesome. The head of that statue was made of fine gold, its breast and its arms of silver, its belly and its thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. You continued looking until a stone was cut out without hands, and it struck the statue on its feet of iron and clay and crushed them. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold were crushed all at the same time and became like chaff from the summer threshing floors. And the wind carried them away so that not a trace of them was found. But the stone that struck the statue became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. This was the dream. Now we will tell its interpretation before the king. You, O king, are the king of kings, to whom the God of heaven has given the kingdom, the power, the strength, and the glory. And wherever the sons of men dwell, or the beasts of the field, or the birds of the sky, he has given them into your hand, and has caused you to rule over them all. You are the head of gold. After you there will arise another kingdom inferior to you, then another third kingdom of bronze, which will rule over all the earth. Then there will be a fourth kingdom, as strong as iron, inasmuch as iron crushes and shatters all things. So like iron that breaks in pieces, it will crush and break all these in pieces. And that you saw the feet and toes, partly of potter's clay and partly of iron, it will be a divided kingdom. But it will have in it the toughness of iron, inasmuch as you saw iron mixed with common clay. As the toes of the feet were partly of iron and partly of pottery, so some of the kingdom will be strong and part of it will be brittle. And in that you saw the iron mixed with common clay, they will combine with one another in the seed of men, but they will not adhere to one another, even as iron does not combine with pottery. In the days of those kings, the king, excuse me, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which never will never be destroyed, and that kingdom will not be left for another people. It will crush and put an end to all these kingdoms, but it will itself endure forever. Inasmuch as you saw that a stone was cut out of the mountain without hands and that it crushed the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold, the great God has made known to the king what will take place in the future. So the dream is true and its interpretation is trustworthy. So Daniel begins by telling the king that your demand of your wise men has been unreasonable. Nobody can tell you uh, what you're having dreams about. That is something only God can tell you. And the good news is there is a God in heaven. And that God has revealed to me exactly what your dream was and what the meaning of it is. And ultimately, the the dream that uh, the king of Babylon had was actually a dream about a king. It's about a number of different kings. And what we see is he, he dreams about this statue. You can see the statue in the picture. This is an idea of what it might have looked like. With a head of gold, uh, arms and chest of silver, um, 
about the waist, uh, bronze, and then iron and iron and clay at the feet. And the gold head represents Babylon. Babylon uh, was in power from 605 to 539 B.C. Following that kingdom, there was what the, is described as the Silver Kingdom, which was the kingdom uh, that was called Medo-Persia, which reigned from 539 to 331 B.C. Then you had the Bronze Kingdom, the waste part, which was actually the kingdom of Greece, which actually reigned from 331 B.C. to 63 B.C. Then you have the legs of iron and the feet of clay, which actually represents the Roman Empire. And uh, the reason why it had clay in the feet is that there were parts of the kingdom that were brittle, and there were parts of the kingdom that did not go well together, and it ultimately resulted in the fall of that kingdom. And it tells us in this passage that there was going to be a stone that was going to strike the statue on its feet. And the whole statue was going to collapse. The reason for that is the statue represents the kingdoms of men. Not just one kingdom, but all the kingdoms of men. The stone represents Christ and his kingdom. And the dream says, during the days of Rome, that fourth kingdom... The stone is going to strike the statue and is going to bring down those kingdoms. And most people understand that to mean that during the reign of the Roman Empire, Jesus came. He lived, he died, he rose again. Then he ascended to heaven and he started his rule and reign as the God-man, Jesus, over everything. And it was at that point that his kingdom began that would ultimately erase every other kingdom. It didn't do that initially. It hasn't done that yet. But the seed for the destruction of the kingdom of man has been planted. The beginnings of it have already taken place in that the king of kings, Jesus, the God-man, has begun to rule and reign. At this point, he is saving a people for himself, But when that is done, he's going to come back and every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And that's what the dream is all about. It's ultimately about the coming of the Messiah, the coming of Christ, and what would happen between the time of the Babylonian exile and the coming of Christ. It was actually not only a message to the king of Babylon, but a message to the people of God, which said, you know what? For a long time, you're going to suffer at the hands of tyrants. You're going to suffer at the hands of men who are fallen men who use their power to abuse people. But do not lose hope because I am using all of this to usher in paradise on earth, the kingdom of Christ. And so the application for us, just like it was for them in a sense, was everything we have to experience in this country, in this world, is part of the process of bringing heaven to earth. That's what the kingdom of Christ is in its full consummation. It's heaven on earth. Now, there are people today that are trying to bring heaven on earth 
apart from God. It's never going to happen. But one day, God will bring heaven on earth. But until then, we will suffer under governments that abuse their power. And depending on how much power they have, how absolute their power is, will determine how much suffering there might actually be. But the important thing for us is to realize that it's kind of like what Paul said in the book of Acts. Uh, at one point in Acts chapter 14, um, he heals this lame man in Lystra, and the pagans want to worship him. And he says, no, 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 don't worship us. Worship the true God who manifested himself in the person of Jesus. And so at one point, they're, they're wanting to worship him. Then before you know it, some Jewish people come in and talk against Paul, and they stone him. One verse, they're wanting to worship him. The next verse, they're stoning him and thinking he's dead. He gets up, he leaves. And then after a while, he comes back to Lystra. And, and as I've said before, he probably still had bruises and all kinds of cuts on his body. And he tells the people, through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. Now, in Colossians, it says we've already been transferred into the kingdom of God's beloved son. So there's one sense in which we already are in the kingdom of Jesus because he rules and he reigns. But when Paul says, through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom, he's talking about heaven on earth. He's talking about the consummated kingdom, which is still yet future. There are many tribulations with many tyrants, with many people abusing their authority, with many sinful and terrible things going on, and yet we need not be afraid. We can trust God under these circumstances. And the reason why is because of what we see reflected in the last verses in this chapter. Look at verse 46. He says, Then the king, the king Nebuchadnezzar, fell on his face and did homage to Daniel and gave orders to present to him an offering and fragrant incense. The king answered Daniel and said, Surely your God is a God of gods and a Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries, since you have been able to reveal this mystery. Then the king promoted Daniel and gave him many great gifts, and he made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon and chief prefect over all the wise men of Babylon. And Daniel made request of the king, and he appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over the administration of the province of Babylon while Daniel was at the king's court. So what happens? God tells the dream to Daniel and the interpretation Daniel tells it to the king, and all of a sudden, everything is reversed. Instead of Daniel and his friends being killed by the king, the king exalts Daniel and his three friends. He puts them in places of authority, and he promotes them. Instead of killing them, he promotes them in his kingdom. What do you call that? You call that a grand reversal. And there's, it's amazing how often in the Bible we see those kinds of things either talked about in a general sort of way or illustrated for us. Um, there's a verse in Re- Revelation which says, Jesus is talking to one of the churches and he says, Behold, I will cause those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews and are not but lie. I will make them come and bow down at your feet and make them know that I have loved you. That's called a grand reversal. Those who are persecuting and trying to extinguish you, 
will one day bow down at your feet and they'll know not that uh, they're doing God's will by killing you, but they'll know that you are actually loved by God. That is a grand reversal. And that is ultimately what is going to happen at the end of time. There's going to be a grand reversal with regard to how people look at Jesus. There's going to be a grand reversal with regard to how people look at the people of God, Christians. Um, You can see it... um, when I was growing up, I would watch uh, cartoons like um, The Roadrunner. Ever watch The Roadrunner? It's about a coyote that's trying to catch and eat a bird called a roadrunner. And what happens over and over again is that every time the coyote, Wild E. Coyote, uh, tries to use his acne products to catch and kill uh, the roadrunner, what happens is there is, a, in the cartoon, a comical backfire. It actually comes back on him. It reflects what it says in Proverbs 26, 27. He who digs a pit will fall into it, and he who rolls a stone, it will come back on him. And so those in the world that are trying to oppose God and oppose God's people, ultimately the very things they are trying to use to destroy God and uh, destroy God's people and oppose God will come back upon them and will actually be used in the form of a blessing to the people of God. You uh, see this in the story of Joseph. Remember, Joseph is sold into slavery in Egypt, and he ends up becoming a second to Pharaoh, ruling over the land of Egypt. God exalts him. That's a grand reversal. Uh, Or you see it in the book of Esther. Read the book of Esther, and there's this guy named Haman who is trying to destroy all the Jews. And he builds this... Um, platform on which to hang Mordecai and instead he gets hanged on his own gallows. And instead of Haman being exalted, Mordecai gets his job. It's a grand reversal. In fact, the Jews still celebrate that grand reversal whenever they celebrate Purim. Every year they're celebrating God's grand reversal of circumstances, saving the Jews, um, punishing those who wanted to kill the Jews, uh, bringing down Haman and exalting Mordecai. They celebrate God's grand reversal. And we do that every time we celebrate the Lord's Supper. How do we celebrate the grand reversal? Well, it says in Acts chapter 2, as we saw recently, Peter says, therefore, let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. That's a grand reversal. You put to death Jesus. You assume that Jesus was hated by God and he is the beloved son of God who's been exalted to the kingship over the universe. That is a grand reversal. You could not be considered any lower than someone who was crucified. And yet God exalts Jesus to his right hand. God talks about these things in a more general way when he talks about uh, blessing his people. He says, I will turn their mourning into joy, or I will turn their shame into praise and renown in all the earth. He tells his people in the Old Testament, the Lord your God was not willing to listen to Balaam, but the Lord your God turned the curse into a blessing for you, Because the Lord your God loves you. Because God loves his people, because God loves us, he is going to exercise 
all kinds of power and wisdom to do the grand reversals that need to take place in our lives and in this universe. And so we can trust him. We can trust him to do whatever that means for us in this life and in the life to come. And so as we wrap this up, let me just ask the question, why why did this true story happen? It's not just a fiction. It's not just a myth. It's not a parable. It's a true story. In other words, why did God give Nebuchadnezzar, a pagan king, this dream, this revelation of the future? Well, in verse 29, it says that Nebuchadnezzar was kind of wondering what the future was going to bring. And so God answered him and told him what the future is going to bring. But in that dream, there was a warning to Nebuchadnezzar because if Nebuchadnezzar was paying attention, the gold head was going to be crushed to fine dust. It was a way of God revealing himself to Nebuchadnezzar as the God who reveals mysteries. And as someone has said, for God to know the future doesn't mean he's a good guesser. doesn't mean he just knows it because he can see into the future. It means he must be the one to determine the future. In order to be able to tell us what the future holds, you have to be the one who's in control of what the future will hold. So the knowledge of God about the future says God is sovereign over everything. He is totally in charge. And in other verses in the Bible, it says, uh, you, you know God is God because he can tell you what the future is, which means he's determined what the future is. He is truly God. And nothing happens apart from him. And so all of that was part of why God revealed this dream. It was meant to humble the wise men who thought, oh yeah, we can tell you what the dream is. We, we can see into the future and, and they couldn't do that. It was to debunk the claims of the idols of Babylon who were considered to be the light givers. And yet they were darkness. Only God is the true light giver. It was meant to exalt Daniel and his friends. God used it to lift them up and put them in places of of influence and authority in the kingdom. And and why? Well, at least one purpose of that was so that they could be used to bless the Jewish people in the midst of a cruel society and under a cruel tyrant. They could actually advocate for mercy and grace and kindness to God's people. It was ultimately to warn people like us about what God is up to and to encourage us to be prepared that uh, what Daniel saw and proclaimed to Nebuchadnezzar has already come to pass. Like I said, it's already been fulfilled at least to the point of Jesus coming, living, dying, rising again, ascending to the throne. And yet it's not completely fulfilled because heaven on earth has not yet come. But just like for them, The same is for us. It's a call to be prepared. Are we prepared to stand before God? Because we sing about the fact that Jesus is the one who will judge the living and the dead, right? We will stand before him and we will either be a part of his kingdom or we'll be cast out of his kingdom at the end. Um, Ultimately, the dream was to proclaim the king of kings and lord of lords. That Nebuchadnezzar, we're going to read on, thought a lot of himself. And God is continually saying, uh, your uh, small potatoes 
in the grand scheme of things. Uh, you may think of yourself as the king of kings in some sense, but there's a true king of kings. He is the Messiah, and we know him as Jesus. And so you could say God is a supreme multitasker. So I'll list all those things that God was doing, and think about any particular thing in your life. If you ask the question, what is God doing through this situation? Uh, you probably cannot count all the things that God is doing through the situations you are in. He's the supreme multitasker. But we know that he's definitely working to glorify his name. We know that he's definitely at work to usher in heaven on earth in the kingdom of Christ. We definitely know those things because Jesus said, pray that the name of God would be hallowed. Pray that my kingdom would come. Why? Because that's what God is always up to. Even when you pray, God, give me another meal today. It's all about the glory of God. It's about the kingdom of Christ coming. And we should pray, help me to be prepared for the future, whatever it holds, and help me to be hopeful in that. There was someone who was painting a picture, and he showed what he was doing to another man, and he was painting a tree. And he showed him sketches of the root system of the tree. And the guy looked at that and he said, hey, I don't see any roots in this tree. Why are you working so hard at the, uh, the root system underneath the tree that you're, you're painting here? And he says, I can't properly draw the tree without knowing what the root system looks like. Even though nobody's going to be able to see the roots in the painting. That's exactly what's going on here in this dream. God is showing to King Nebuchadnezzar and to Daniel and the people of God that you see all these kingdoms playing themselves out in the world. You see all these tyrants ruling and reigning, but you need to see the root beneath that. The root beneath that is the glory of my name and the coming of Christ and the coming of heaven on earth through the rule and reign of Jesus. But it calls us to... To do what Jesus said in Luke 21, where he said, Behold a fig tree, be looking at what is happening. And then he says, But keep on the alert at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are about to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. So I'll go back to where I started. What do we need to help us carve out time to seek God? Not only on Sundays, Sunday is an important way we do that, but individually uh, to go into our closets, to shut the door, to read God's word, to pray. What do we need? Well, one thing we need is to feel our need for God. And that's exactly what God is doing in all of our lives. He's showing us our need. That's what he's doing in this country. He's raising up uh, men who are exercising authority in inappropriate ways, and it's showing us our need for him. And so we need to pray, God, help me to make the most of my need and to seek him for what we need. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word that is so appropriate in every situation. We thank you for the book of Daniel and how it pictures for us uh, various things that are happening in our own country, even now in various ways. And it encourages us to see things from your perspective, to look below the surface of things, and it encourages us to seek you for what we need, for the insight we need, the revelation we need, for the protection and provision that we need, for the help we need. 
Father, help us to take your word to heart. Help us to walk it out this week. Help us to be doers of your word and not hearers only. And may you truly be honored and glorified in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.